0: It was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away.
1: You the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh yeah, that's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, to talk about beer. Or this week, the business of beer and what happens when things don't work out. Passionate home brewer Adam Gibb opened White Brick Brewing in North Lakes, north of Brisbane, in November 2017, and he closed it in July of this year at the height of the COVID lockdowns. While COVID was the nail in the coffin, as Adam learned, things don't always go to plan and running a brewery is fraught with challenges that you don't always expect. It's always a hard conversation to speak to somebody whose dream hasn't worked out. But as you'll hear, despite how it ended, Adam has no regrets about his decision to have a go. We discuss Adam's original plans for his own brewery and how that compared to what actually happened, what he learned along the way, and also what he would do differently. It's an important conversation for anyone who dreams of opening a brewery to hear. I thank Adam for his willingness to discuss his experience so openly and so it doesn't feel right to say my usual "I hope you enjoy it" because there's not a lot to enjoy about it, but there is a lot to learn, and I do hope you'll benefit from hearing Adam's experience. So this is my conversation with Adam Gibb. Adam Gibb from White Brick Brewing. Welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Hi, how are you, mate? I'm I'm not too bad. First of all, how are you? It's been a you know it's been a difficult year for everybody, but you know uh, when your brewery closes it's uh, been a very challenging year for you how are you going I've been overwhelmed
0: by the uh, the number of people in the industry and out of our sort of loyal customer base that have been reaching out asking me uh, that very question and doing what they can to to try and help I'm I'm doing okay at the moment um, I've I've come to terms with it I've analyzed it to death and uh, <laughs> Um, I'm 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 moving on, which is uh, which is great.
1: Which is great. No, look, and one of the reasons that I've wanted to to talk to you about, obviously, it's a very sensitive subject. You know, no one, you know, it's a hard subject to talk about, but. I look at you as somebody who, as long as there have been craft brewing conferences, um, you were always, you know, from the early days of craft beer in Brisbane, you were attending festivals, um, you were going, you were going to the craft brewers conference and mining uh, people for information and planning. And so I'm fascinated to, to learn about your journey and what you've learned um, as, as much as anything. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What did you do before you uh, got into the craft beer industry?
0: Well, I suppose, like so many people, I was uh, was in the IT industry which, <laughs> to, to, to breed alcoholics who want to uh, to get out of IT. Um, however, in some ways, I think it was a great grounding for some of the uh, the technology, the process, the the attention to detail, uh, which was always handy. But um, it was it was really living a dream. I, I think the dream became more and more real as I started doing some volunteer uh, stewarding. At the International Beer Awards in Melbourne, and uh, and the Independent, uh, or the Indies as they are now, but uh, it was a craft beer industry association back then, and it just meant that there was so much more beer than uh, than sitting down drinking it. There was flavours, there was science, there was all sorts of things uh, you could manipulate the flavour to be exactly what you wanted to be. It just became fascinating.
1: And it is like you make a sort of a, a sort of a, a joke about being, coming from an i.t. background, but certainly a lot of people in the brewing industry do seem to um, fall in love with home brewing and, and and the process of brewing you know as i.t. people. What is the correlation do you think?
0: Uh, for, for me, the home brewing was it wasn't about cost, it was about getting the, the better beer flavor. Um, I think there was that, that desire to, you know, get sick of some of the, the commercial stuff and say, I, I think I can do better than that. Um, you tend to look for creative outlets outside of IT. So <laughs> I, I, I guess a lot of us uh, love cooking as well or, uh, or love playing with different flavors or some sort of artistic thing that uh, that helps that creative side equal that uh, that logical, very rigid side.
1: And as an observer, I also look at you know the the, the temperaments and the personalities of the people who you know, move from engineering or IT. And you know I, I'm not mathematically minded, um, but I look at you know if you want to write computer code, um, there are a couple of ways that you can do it, but there are essentially rules you have to, otherwise the code just won't run. But you've still got elegant, you know, well crafted code and code that's a little bit messy and you know that seems to be like a a similarity with brewing you can't not follow basic process um and still end up with a good beer but there are a lot of different ways that within those train tracks um you, you you can still go is that a reasonable um thesis to work on
0: it is but i i think one of those things that i discovered along the way is whilst we're all striving or we're all striving to make great beers Great beers aren't always released. Um, There are some beers that uh, have terrible flaws in them, and for the most part, sometimes people don't know. And so I still think we're on a really uh, long path in terms of education and trying to to show people the best that we can produce. And I'm glad to say that, you know, over the time I've been brewing, the industry itself has got better and better. But, um, gee, there was some sugar out there for a
1: while. (laughs) <laughs> Give us an idea of when did you get into the home brewing when did you discover brewing before you even decided that it was something you wanted to make a career in oh, probably
0: home brewing 20 odd years ago and like most people it goes in and ups and downs as you have kids and they the time monopolizes your life and you look at other ways of shortcutting things and then you come back to the sheer pleasure of the smell of malt and the smell of hops as it's uh, as it's creating something and and uh, but it's it was just one of those things that you just love playing with and certainly all of a sudden you got a lot more friends because you
1: <laughs>
0: you decide to, to open up the, the door on a Sunday afternoon there's a queue of people willing to, to come in and give you feedback on your beer
1: well obviously you weren't a bad home brewer then because I know a lot of people who uh, their neighbors shy away from them when they know that there's a home brew to be opened
0: yeah I, I think once again it's um, if, if people are doing it, because they want to save money, they develop a particular style of product. And if they love it, that's fantastic because it's reaching the target market. But if you want to make the best product you can, then gee, can be a joy.
1: So how long had you been homebrewing before you thought, you know, this is the thing, like I, I actually want to do this professionally?
0: Yeah, well, I suppose it was also that, that dream of um, – I, I really want to give this a go. If I don't give this a go, I'll be sitting there at the end of my days going, gee, I wish I'd have done this. And I, I never wanted to be that sort of situation. So as I was, the opportunity came up to be able to, to start my own brewery. The, I just brewed more and more. I just uh, got more fermenters, got built my own cold room and put it in, uh, in an office and just brewed and brewed and brewed to, to start playing with things. I spent, Twelve months deliberately stuffing up brews and trying to fix them, so, <laughs> so I could just get better at it.
1: So when was that that you'd sort of thinking that you you you, you went from being an enthusiastic um, equipment collecting? Late
0: fifteen, early sixteen, I would say.
1: Oh, okay. It was it was that late because I, you know, I remember you being a presence at some of the conferences. You know, I thought even earlier than that, but it was uh, that was when you yeah. first started. Making concrete plans. I
0: think it was there, but it it became a a firm thing probably in in 2015.
1: Okay, actually, I should ask: in IT, like, were you running an IT company that you sort of? Oh, you were. So, so you had a background in business, um, at at least at that end of it, rather than uh, somebody that had never um, run the accounts and all of the business planning processes that are intrinsic to a self-owned business.
0: Yeah, I, at least I had uh, some sort of background, but uh, but retail's a, a a very different business.
1: <laughs> so you talk about retail beer,
0: uh, but well, de- just dealing with the public, dealing yeah. with you know, the sheer amount of licensing and other things, and and the fact that retail is such a generally a spontaneous um, decision making. I, I think I'm still quite astounded sometimes when you walk into a bottle shop and you you talk to some people, and even though they've meant to buy beer or wine or, or something else, they're very prone to, to what they see on the shelf that will influence the decision right then.
1: Because that, that is something that I'd not thought of. And, you know, how many times do we go down to the shops to, uh, you know, thinking I need to get a loaf of bread, a bottle of milk and a paper. And we come back with uh, twisties and, and something else and f- f- forget those things because we're distracted. But I guess that's very much a, a thing. If somebody goes into a bottle shop planning to buy something... But then something jumps off the shelf, or somebody makes a suggestion. You know, they can be diverted from their path very, very quickly.
0: That's it, or, or it could be a particularly catchy label. It could be a beer from an area or a brewery that they've been wanting to try. All sorts of things will will definitely influence that decision and and potentially throw out of the water what what they were actually going to buy in the first place.
1: Mm. Pete Mitchum talks about the consumer decision tree that I think you know is, is a marketing term, but um, <laughs> sometimes you forget that you know there are monkeys wild in that tree as well It can completely oh, but, distract but, but
0: you. Very much so, and uh, and purchasing is a is a very fickle thing that uh, yeah companies spend a lot of money trying to understand.
1: You, you live in the north of Brisbane, and yes. did was it always the plan to start a brewery in in, in the, the North Lakes area?
0: Yeah, look, I, I suppose I'm one of those subscribers to the uh, the grand old notion that a, a brewery in the local area is a great thing uh, and people need somewhere locally that they can go so not only enjoy beer but become a bit of a community hub where you can meet up with people. Uh, there's function space. There's the ability for the brew to participate in local events, host local events, and really be integrated into the community. Um, it's happened historically. It's happening to some extent still in the States. Uh, and I'd love to see more of that here, which is why I wanted something locally.
1: How long were you looking? like were you looking for a venue um, or a site at the same time you were developing your business plan, or did you? Yes, um, Okay, so you, you, you were just going through the whole process, um, yeah, you know, at, at the same time. Yep. So, so tell us the, the the process. You know, did you sit down and say, "Look, this is what it's going to be called. This is what we're going to concentrate on." this is the brewery size that I want and go out to tender? Was it a, you know, was it very methodical? Or t- tell us your approach to, to opening a brewery because there are so many different ways that I've heard.
0: Well, you, you always start with with the, the grand ideas, but they all fall apart as soon as you uh, start talking to a couple of the, the sort of stainless manufacturers. <laughs> and asking questions like, what volume are you producing? What beers are you going to produce? And all of a sudden you go, well, I don't know. Um, I was hoping to work out what the cost would be. Therefore I could work out a break-even point and go from there, well, no, it doesn't quite work like that. So um, whoever you talk to, everything turns around. Uh, from a venue point of view, you actually potentially need council approval before you can do anything else. So that becomes important. From the equipment point of view, you need the style of beer and the volume of beer. Um, from the business point of view, you need all the costs. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a real battle between them. But overridingly, it's the person who's putting their, their neck on the line or the house on the line and following their dreams and their, their passions to, to make great beer.
1: Did you find your plans changing you know, a little bit Constantly. during this process? Constantly. <laughs> so can, can you remember when you uh, first pulled out a piece of paper and said, I'm going to have Adam's Brewery, did you have the name? Did you have an idea of the styles? Did you have an idea of the size or...
0: I, I did. Um, the size changed a little bit. Um, I mean, talking to a to a lot of the the brewers out there, the general consensus was go as big as you can right from the start. Um, and And whilst that's undoubtedly great advice, I think the caveat for that should be it should also change depending on what size your venue is and what your actual local target market is as well. I think in some ways we possibly went a little bit bigger than we should have. But um, likewise, if we'd have grown a little bit faster, then there would have been a different story as well. So the, once you start bringing variables in, then you know, everything's thrown back up in the air again.
1: It, it, it's interesting that you say that because you know I, I'm often asked by people my thoughts on different uh, approaches to to brewing and to business, and people often sort of saying, "Look, this is what we think you're doing. What do you think?" And you know, the first thing is I've never opened a brewery, so it, it's You know, there's one thing, but then again, I spend a lot of time speaking to people like yourself and learning and hearing the feedback um, from what they've done. But the one thing that I have distilled from all of the things I've observed is that there is no one business model um, that can work. And it all comes down to not so much the idea, but the execution of what you decide to do. And if you execute anything well... um, you know obviously so long as it's reasonably well thought out and you you're not you know you don't have a 500 seat venue with a hundred liter little brew house in in the corner um is what I'm hearing you say that you know you were so probably talking into getting something bigger than the venue and the um, you know uh, pub element that you that you ended up going with
0: as I say th- things constantly changed there was you know the the potential when we were at the the earlier stages before we'd uh, committed to the fully to the site that there was going to be another retail outlet that we could be supplying uh product for and by the time we were committed to the site that was no longer an option um, so that all of a sudden changed uh what our potential output was and how we needed to to apportion it so that that had a very distinct uh difference on a on a bottom line also you know, it's a, it's a tough market selling beer out there. Uh, there is a, a lot of competition. There's a lot of reluctance in a, in a lot of venues to, to try different craft beers. And there's a reluctance for a lot of venues to, to pay um, appropriate amounts for craft beer. Uh, so, so that changes everything as well. So I, I think until you're actually doing every single part of that, the planning and the business process, your figures are never one hundred percent accurate.
1: Mm. But even then, and you, you know, it's it's interesting that you say that it's a competitive market because I hear from a lot of, you know, probably you opened in November twenty seventeen, so you would have been planning for 12, 18 months before that. Yeah, um, you know, like I was speaking to people probably in early in in you know the the, the early. 13s and 14s who were sort of saying oh look I'm going to open a brewery and you know whilst I don't give advice I do ask questions and you know sort of say do you you know do you think that the market is going to ha- have space for another brewery and they would say things like oh well, look you know we're only number 300 um, you know the, the the industry can you know handle 300 but there's almost an implied uh, assumption in there that the counting is going to stop at 300 and the the, the next somehow you get um, priority over the next 200 that open in, in the consumer's mind.
0: Yeah, that, that's right. And, you know, whilst there is, I think, still potential for a lot of brewery growth uh, within Australia and particularly also within Queensland, I think there are definitely some areas that are getting closer to a saturation point. Um, and there's got to be a, a larger conversion of more commercial drinkers to, to encourage sustainability.
1: Let, let's talk about that. Obviously, you, you just said that there was going to be another venue that you would have been supplying. Um, what sort of venue was that, out of interest?
0: It was going to be a, a, a beer and pizza cafe.
1: Right, okay. The, the, you, but you weren't involved in it. It was somebody else running it. But I well, they... wasn't involved
0: in it. Uh, s- someone else was involved in it, and, uh, and they were had every intention of getting it up and running, had plans drawn up and everything, and then they pulled the pin uh, and ended up uh, not being anything like that. Uh, by the time it finally got uh, leased out, and uh, yes, yeah, so all of a sudden you had a commitment virtually to uh, to an outlet, and uh, there's no outlet.
1: Mm. Mm. And uh, what was the d- describe the uh, North Lakes community for, for those who aren't Southeast Queensland based? North Lakes is about 40 minutes out of the city. It's a sort of satellite um, city set up on the on the road to the Sunshine Coast. It's
0: one of those uh, almost sort of planned-style uh, communities where there was uh, lots of roads and areas uh, developed in stages until the, the whole area was filled in. has a history that only dates back about 10 or 15 years, uh, so relatively new area, but um, a great little industrial estate close to the highway and really in the centre of, uh, of the Moreton Bay sort of region in, in terms of large growth of, of population and, uh, and housing.
1: And importantly, no breweries.
0: Well, that's right, yes.
1: So what was the, you know, again, having watched craft beer in 2000, it was, you know, like a, a very small market, but, you know, it grew quite quickly in, in, in the inner city and it, it, it's expanding. What's the level of demand or awareness or, um, you, know, uh, you know, consumption um, up, up in the North Lakes region?
0: There, There is... Uh certainly knowledge and desire for craft beer, but there was also, I think, a, a large desire for those heavily subsidised beers, uh, commercial beers, in some of the the local taverns as well, um, that all of a sudden where you were looking at a $6 pint on a Friday afternoon, tended to get a few of the people there that you might otherwise have uh, encouraged with, uh, with a better product or a different atmosphere.
1: Okay, so what was, in terms of the beers that you ended up making, you know, was it the sort of place that people were game to try like a West Coast IPA or a Hoppy Pale Ale or was it the sort of place that was looking for something that was a little bit more, you know, 150 Lashes style?
0: Yeah, look, we we weren't, we definitely weren't uh, really the, the FOMO hotspot uh, <laughs> because uh, that, that, those, that sort of clientele that predominantly worked uh, throughout the Brisbane area, just didn't travel that far but um,
1: and I should say there's not a lot of public transport in fact there's probably no public transport
0: oh the, the, there is the uh, the, the final combination of the the long-term train project that uh, that finally went through but um the, the reality was our things like our lager our uh, pilsner was a constant uh, top seller um we also uh, a mid-strength parallel went really well um and then as we branched out into a West Coast IPA, which was our, our red and our stout, they were really well-received as well. But we did uh, have a couple of interesting things. We did a, a Belgian triple that went down really well. We did a Lamington beer in uh, 2018 that uh, we managed to get onto Sunrise as well. It was an absolute cracker. And we mucked around with a couple of beers which had uh, a lot of native Australian ingredients. Uh, we blended rum with a couple of different beers to... Commemorate Anzac Day, uh, so we, we had some stuff out there that was well received. But I just knew that as a volume, those things wouldn't go. But as one or two kegs, they were just perfect.
1: And how did you go in terms of getting people in? Was it seen as the the local that people came as much for the it being the local brewery as it was being a craft brewery?
0: I think it was it was more the brewery rather than a craft brewery. Uh, people just saw it as, as uh, a a great place to go, and we we built up quite a loyal sort of uh, clientele. To the towards the end in the the sort of dying days, there was quite a few men brought to tears the fact that we were closing. So that's uh, uh, some incredibly memorable tattoos some people got <laughs> uh, to, to commemorate the beers. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah, it was uh, incredibly moving. Um, so I, I think in a lot of ways we we really did change part of our local community, and and that as just filming with so much awe that uh, it was just one of those things that I wanted to do and, and we actually did. So I, I think we were more than just a, a drinks outlet. We, were, we really did become part of the community.
1: I'm pretty confident in saying that no one has ever got a Brews News tattoo, so uh, you certainly <laughs> won up on me.
0: Well, we ended up, they had to make up a four-pack, so uh, in between the the four guys, one, one did it first, three others got other beers, so they could have a mixed four-pack.
1: <laughs> there you go. So so how did you go getting your, your, your beer in package? Was Were there local bottle shops on board wanting to support local? Because I, I guess... You know, no, actually,
0: no. Most of the uh, the local bookshops were all looking for the, the best deals that they could get so they could maintain margin. We ended up uh, having more success through BWS um we managed to get on there and by the end i think we ended up with about 18 or 19 bws stores and a couple of dan murphy stores and and they were uh constantly moving uh stuff locally for us
1: and and were they pressing down on price this is like one of those great interviews that i can have where because you don't have to mind your p's and q's so much um did did the 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 sort of notorious uh big guys uh screw you down on price
0: uh a few of them tried to i I think one of the best ones was one of the uh, the bottle shops in Brisbane asked me for four cartons uh, as a gift to see if it would work.
1: <laughs> so uh, this wasn't one of the BWSs or the. No, the
0: no, BWS were great. Uh, every time we we uh, delivered to them, we went straight into a cold room. Uh, we're allowed to do some in store promotions with them. Uh, they behind the product as well. Uh, we were able to get a couple of the managers down at different times so that we could give them a tour of the brewery and show them some of the other products. They, they were incredibly supportive. Um, it, it was really good.
1: So in, in terms of the um, one that was asking for four cartons as a trial, without naming anybody, but how would you carry Were, were they a small independent? Were they a medium no,
0: exactly. group? They're a multiple-site uh, uh, bottle shop in, uh, in Brisbane.
1: Oh, well, there you go. So that, that's that's a, a bit of a surprise.
0: And, and of course, you know, as young uh, you know, players in the market, you try and sell to a lot of different people. And particularly if you're going to a, a festival or something, you try and get into a couple of the local bottle shops so you can help sort of uh, get some of the product around. And we uh, we certainly found a few that uh, did not want to pay at all and refused to pay. And So you're down a few cartons of stock, which always hurt you in the early days. But uh, you, you learn by that. And, uh, and as you get... Uh, talking to a few more people in the industry, you realise the, the people you deal with and the people you don't.
1: That's one of the things I do hear from sort of particularly fledgling um, breweries before they've sort of gotten their sort of a hard hearts uh, about it. There, there is always that tension between wanting to be ranged and feeling that you have to be accommodating as possible um, in order to create a relationship and hopefully a productive one and... Um, and then being hard nosed enough to actually chase up payments and not let um, you know not keep supplying when you're not getting paid for earlier um, you know, supplies.
0: That's exactly right.
1: And how how did you deal with that?
0: Well, it's it's very difficult, and I think ultimately you you make the decision quickly. If someone's not going to pay me, then I just don't deal with them. Um, if lots of people love the product then they'll demand the product back and then you can actually dictate the terms a little bit. If not, then you go somewhere else and let them get the business.
1: Mm. So so what was the mix in the end between uh, your your own uh, brew pub sales and wholesale keg and uh, uh, we packaged? We were
0: already over the bar. Our uh, wholesale was probably 20-odd percent.
1: Okay, and, and and so that was... Going back to what you're saying about the brewery was probably a little bit bigger than you'd factored in having that as your prime source yeah. of business. Is that right?
0: That's right. They're, they're all the questions that you answer before you're actually committed to everything else. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's it's, it. it, it it's, it's why it's such a fascinating chat because, you know, I, I really get the feeling um, some of the nicest emails I've gotten uh, or, you know, comments that people have said, and someone said it in the, um, in our Facebook group recently, you know, that they'd planned to open a brewery, but everyone in the chat room knows why that they, they didn't because you know my first attempt is my, my first thing is to try and talk you out of opening a brewery because yeah i, I it, it's such an attractive, you know, fun, vibrant industry that you know there it is, is something very alluring best about best it.
0: Best people and you constantly just know that it is just the industry you want to be involved in. But The downside is it's hugely capital intensive. Uh, Your returns are never going to be huge. So it's not the sort of thing that's uh, necessarily a a long-term, brilliant investment strategy. But however, the the growth in the craft beer industry is meaning that it is is quite a valid investment strategy for a lot of people. Um, But you've just got to have the capital sitting there ready to do it and think longer term.
1: So, what was your long term vision? Because I know you've got a, a, a son who finishes school this year. Like, did you have visions of having um, a, a son come into the business and, you know, have a, a, a generational thing? Um, or was it grow a business, make it viable, you know, do something you love for a few years and then sell out um, when, when the time was right or, you know, be taken over by the, the CUBs of the world? Did you have a vision for your uh, look, fo- I, I
0: don't think I ever had the, the, be, the be taken over. Uh, sort of mentality, I think it was too much uh, community driven where if uh, my sons decided that they didn't want to be part of the business, then someone else locally would have stepped up um, and and kept it going.
1: When uh, COVID um, came around and and you closed very soon after i think it was in the first month or two of the of the covid shutdown so you'd obviously made the decision um i mean
0: it was was july when we closed down oh july
1: okay so i think i was just sort of looking at the story we ran That was the end of june so yeah so april
0: so we'd announced it sort of mid to late june
1: but for covid were you were you tracking nicely
0: we were tracking nicely um up to up to covid um COVID just unleashed a whole lot of unknowns and we were suddenly battling um, the potential of no rent relief. We were potentially battling uh, no finance relief and we were looking at what was becoming incredibly, to some extent, unfair regulations on the, on the brewing industry um, as all the shutdowns and everything else happened. The rules that suddenly came in that gave a lifeline to, to smaller bars and, uh, and a whole lot of other venues actively disadvantaged uh, the craft breweries because all of a sudden your competitive advantage in uh, some things like growlers and some of your takeaways was completely gone. Uh, and so you were fighting to, to re-establish uh, things like that. And whilst we did have uh, some very loyal customers who came in every week and bought a carton of beer to say, look, you know, keep going. We're we're behind you. You could see that whilst the commercial bottle shops were increasing sales quite dramatically, it was a it was a more of a, a sudden spike and a drop for everyone else as people suddenly started to think, well, do I need all this alcohol? I'm not going out anywhere. I'm making a lot of home, or I'm spending more money than I actually should be on things like
1: this. Mm. So, did you see a um, pickup in bottle shops pulling through your your package uh, stuff? Did you have a, a challenge getting things into package from keg?
0: We no, we we, we were still okay uh, with that. We saw a small increase in package sales through BWS, but most of the, uh, the BWS sales were still in the uh, the commercial uh, products, as everyone was sort of running around working out what they were going to do. And to BWS's credit, they they did expand the, uh, the the range of products fairly, fairly quickly, which was great. But um, it was just one of those things that people, you know, oh, there's a limit on cartons, so what you buy, you buy cartons. Whereas for a lot of the smaller craft guys, you're, you're selling cartons to them, but it's all being sold as four-packs and singles. Mm. So you, you, you had that different sort of mentality. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting. But then, you know, heartbreaking to see people you know, stopping, or in some cases, skidding to stops outside the, the venue. Are you open? Can we get a beer on tap? <laughs> no, I'm sorry, we can't. <laughs>
1: it's, knowing that there are people out there wanting your beer and not being able to supply, it must be, uh, you know, one of those almost a, the pub with no beer things in reverse.
0: It, it's quite hard. And, uh, and he, I mean, if it was going through a, for a stage there every four o'clock every Friday, the rules would change. And so you would have to update staff, you'd have to update signs, you'd have to be prepared for the change. And it just, on a smaller, on a venue with a, a smaller sort of front of house area, uh, the one per four square square metre rules and some of the other restrictions were just making it almost uneconomical with the number of staff to do table service and everything else to, to actually be able to supply product to people.
1: How were you going, like, in, in terms of, you opened in November 2017, so you had all of 18, all of 19, and 2020 was a year that we can forget, but in terms of, you know, you'd opened, you'd had to change your plans slightly because you didn't have the outlet that you were expecting, your brewery's a little bit bigger, um, were, were you hitting the, miles, you know, the the financial milestones and were you sort of hitting your, the, the projections that you wanted to as a business?
0: No, we, we weren't quite there.
1: But but you were you, you were seeing growth.
0: We, we were very close to it, but but we weren't quite there.
1: So I guess when COVID rolled around, there was just there just wasn't that margin for for error. That's it. The, the, the,
0: the, there was very there was no margin left. Mm. And you just knew that if there was a drop, you were going to be in a world of hurt.
1: Mm. And and oh god, I mean, we still don't know. I'm as, as you know, I'm uh, you know, we're in uh, middle of November, and uh, I'm suddenly in a fourteen day uh, lockdown because I went to a safe uh, safe state. So we still have that uncertainty that we're that's swirling around us.
0: That's right. And every time that there's a there's a change that affects people's I suppose mentality for for going out or for. For participating in what is arguably a, a something that's fun and enjoyable, uh, then you run the risk of, of a drop in sales, or, or that the money goes somewhere else. That they decide to the party at home, where they can have more people.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and they can dance, or, or or can they dance? It's so hard keeping up with the rules. So I don't dance, so that's one rule I don't need to familiarise myself. Yeah, well, with.
0: I've been lucky with that as well, but uh, it, it's still quite bizarre, and uh, it's. It was incredibly difficult and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people in the industry have had the same battles to tell people no you you can't i mean we had a birthday and how do you tell people no you can't walk around from group to group you've got to remain seated so you see someone bunny hopping a chair across <laughs> the
1: neck
0: to try and talk to people but you know how do you explain to people that if you're sitting down you will be safe yeah yeah but you walk around elsewhere you do something else so, you know uh, we're even telling uh, gentlemen, you know, if you get, if you go to the facilities, you must sit down. You'll be safer than standing up. <laughs> the, the, that's the information we've been
1: given. <laughs> I'd, I'd not heard that one. So there you go. But well, uh, we, we,
0: we, did, we did try and laugh at some of the stuff, so we we don't go completely crazy. But but it just gets you know so frustrating that there's a, 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 a lack of understanding as to how the decisions were made and as the implementer of it, you can't explain it to people, but you're just saying, well, you can't do this. And people are saying, why? And you say, I don't know why, but I'm just telling you, you can't.
1: And and that's what you have to do. And that actually raises an interesting element um, that you touched on at the start, that coming from the world of IT and being a home brewer, when you open a brew pub, there is a whole extra element of your business that I guess is very hard for somebody that hasn't run a hospitality venue to plan yes. for. Um, so talk us through your experience with, with, with that and having a hospitality-focused venue.
0: Well, that's right. We suddenly had to get our head around food, uh, suppliers of food. We did go down the path of food trucks, but found some that were exceptional and others that were very much, why bother?
1: And I think you also, I think it was you that told me that one day, like you, you've advertised that they're coming, and then suddenly they phone up and sort of say, look, we're not coming. Um, yeah. And you're left without a food provider.
0: That's it. And, and that dramatically impacts uh, some of the people who are coming. You'd have people walk up and say, I'm here for lunch. I'm sorry they're not coming. Oh, and out they'd go. So, yeah, th- there was all sorts of issues. And, you know, I suppose predominantly I, I focused on the beer rather than uh, having to have a, a kitchen and, uh, and do food as well.
1: It, is that something you would do differently, or you know, would would you prefer to control more of your destiny, or was that just outside of your, you know, financial ability to to include all of the costs associated with the kitchen as well?
0: It, initially, it was outside uh, financially, but is it something I'd do again? I'd definitely totally consider it. Um, it would depend on exactly what model uh, I decided on and, and where it was going to be. Um, I, I think there's value in a couple of different models. Of, uh, of setup but it really comes down to as i say where you want to be how you're going to structure it and and what you want to achieve
1: and and you also just said that you know you, you were focused on the beer or you, you know you, your intention was around the beer it's one of the things that i always look at and see you know home brewers that open uh, a brewery but then very soon afterwards they're advertising for a brewer because the running of the business actually takes you away from the brewing, which is what I'd imagine was the thing that was attractive to you in the first place.
0: Well, I, I, in some ways, I was really lucky. I did hire a brewer right from the start, and he had a background with the, the bigger guys. He brewed at Swan and 4 and that was awesome in terms of setting up, um, getting things done, getting some a lot of the the little nitty-gritty things in place straight away. Um, However, when he moved on, I was back to to doing everything. Uh, And so then I I did partly, I suppose, what I preach. Uh, We had a couple of passionate home brewers who were also very loyal regulars, and one of them was always asking lovely uh, scientific and uh, sort of probing questions. So (laughs) I said, uh, look, would you like a go? And he said, oh, yeah. So he did a couple of trial brews and did really well. And I said, well... Uh, come, I think the start of January in 2019. I said, "Would you like a full-time job?" And he and he did, and he's just been fantastic. Uh, and so he's now a head brewer at uh, at another brewery in New South Wales, and uh, doing great. And I'm I'm so proud that we uh, we gave him the opportunity.
1: That was one element of the question. I guess the other one was, did you create a brewery? So you could give, you know, sort of hands-on effect to your own vision f- f- for beer making? Yeah, look, I, I,
0: I think I always retained some degree of uh, final say over recipes and, and tweaks and things like that. Um, did I have to climb over the equipment every day to make sure it was what it was? No. Um, did I make sure that what we were brewing was what I wanted in line with either what my vision was personally or as part of the business? Yes. Um, so from that point of view, it was great.
1: Okay, so so you so felt that like you you got out of the experience of owning and running a brewery what you'd hope to when you um, went through all of this process of planning.
0: Yes, I, I realised there were some things that I could do better than uh, than than the brewing to add to the business as well, because um, you you really got to ultimately play to the strengths of the people in the business
1: stepping back and looking at the the, the the whole experience um you know overall you know are, are you pleased that you did it or is it something that you think you know maybe I just should have enjoyed visiting the, the, the other craft breweries and doing my yeah, own
0: but as I said earlier I'd have been sitting there at the end of my days going geez I wish I'd have given that a go and not been so bloody negative or uh, or risk averse you know okay though so it it didn't end the way I particularly wanted it to but do I regret it? No. Do I have a great time? Yes. Would I do it again? Yes. Oh,
1: well, you would. So even knowing what you do now, um, obviously, but for COVID, for example, um, if you knew that, you know, which was a great unforeseen, even knowing, you know, the, the the challenges you had over that first over that two and a half years, you you would go back and do it again.
0: Oh, I have no money, but I'd definitely do it again. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things that everything i had went into it and, and there's there's a whole lot of losses on the books and not much help, but,
1: uh, i'm not sorry, suggesting you go and, do it again. i'm not suggesting you go and do it now but i mean if you, you know, if we could sort well, build the way back machine i have a money tree you were going to give me <laughs> <laughs> well you will you know there's that check i'm going to send you for doing the interview um <laughs> uh, okay so so you, you you would do it again then looking back Is there anything that you would use that knowledge to do differently? You know, what um, did you set out to do that you think, gee, if I'd known this, I would have gone a different course?
0: Oh, look, always. um, I think if you don't learn something new every day, then you're wasting your time. Um, And I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about leases. I learned a lot about... Uh, The setup, I learned a lot about equipment. I learned a lot about front of house. I learned a lot about kitchens. I learned a lot about chefs. Um, I learned about a whole lot of uh, little things and the the foibles of of customers in wet and windy days and and things like that.
1: What, that they just Uh, don't turn up?
0: uh, That on windy days, turnover drops considerably more than on a wet day.
1: Really? There you go. I I did not know that. I wonder why that is.
0: So I I think it's uh, that it, they, the perception of cold and uh, why do i want to get out of the the house or the car when it's cold um as opposed to wet well it, it rains regularly so that's not as much of an issue
1: oh there you go okay
0: so you know i, I think you know that the more that you learn the the better you can be at things like that um yeah I you know that that's part of it you know everything you know would would tweak slightly or change slightly um yeah, right. I, I haven't got real serious about any planning yet, so, so... Oh, no, no,
1: but I'm just, you know, as you said, you've sort of thought about it, you've sort of meditated on it, and I'm just trying to think of, you know, the, the, the just the inventory of things that, um, you know, I, I don't know if you're anything like me, that, you know, sort of lays awake at 2 o'clock in the morning beating yourself up for the things you'd uh, have done differently. Um, or, you know. that,
0: that, that always happens.
1: So, so well, what, I mean, this is a very personal question then. Um, what, I mean, what are those things that you sort of sit here thinking, you know, um, this is something that I you know, I should have done differently or better.
0: First of all, you always question, ha- have I done enough? Mm. Did, did I do everything? And then if I did, then what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. And then once you try and work that out, what can I do to change it or what else can I do to, to get a better result?
1: And are there, are there any specifics? Again, you know, sort of bearing in mind that um, we we have a lot of people who are planning breweries, you know, that can benefit from the experience that you've had. Um, you know, are there any uh, of those things you think? Well, this is something that you know if I, I can concretely say that I would do this instead. Uh,
0: I I would I would definitely look at having some other backers behind me so that uh, I went into it with more cash. Doing it as as just one family doing it without enough cash was, was one of the, the problems. Um, I'd probably spend a little bit more time being 100% certain about what the local area was going to need. Um, and, I'd, and that would probably include some sort of food offering, whether it was tied to a local cafe more effectively or something else. We did some great deals with some local cafes to supply food or chefs at different times um so i'd I'd probably have my head around some of that stuff a little bit more
1: did you ever think of bringing in a a a partner after you opened it sounds like you had a loyal following but,
0: but it's often hard to find someone with a mindset that's not going to become toxic further down the the track that was actually cashed up with in if not vision then passion
1: Well, that I mean, that in itself sounds like something you've 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 put a lot of thought into. Because I know a lot of businesses jump at the money first, and then think that those are problems that they can, that future them can worry about.
0: Yeah, but that's right. But you you don't want to end up with uh, with a nasty split that achieves nothing. So, if you're going to do things, you try and do it right. So, as I say, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of times at two o'clock in the morning where you're uh, trying to solve the problems of the world. Normally, you know, most people do that with a beer, particularly with a brewing. <laughs> but at two o'clock in the morning, it looks a little bit odd sitting up in your bed with a beer. But that's, uh, <laughs> I guess it's probably what you should do.
1: And, you know, if you're giving advice to somebody, you know, is there any advice you would give them um, in, in to, to save them from some of the things that you had to learn?
0: No, because one of the things I've learned with kids is that there's only so many times you can tell them what to do. Ultimately, they're going to learn themselves.
1: That's incredible because that's exactly what I was, uh, my next question was, was there anything that anyone told you not to do that you thought, I'm going to do this anyway and you sort of thought, well, actually they were right?
0: Yeah, look, there's always little things like that Um, and sometimes you put it down to other people's uh, personal preferences or baggage or whatever else, Uh, ultimately. Ultimately, you learn yourself along the ways and you hope that the mistakes you make aren't too costly. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I, I, I certainly won't put a dollar figure on, but obviously like you you, you managed to sell the brewery and and those sorts of things. W- were you surprised at what the brewery was worth after closing compared to what you paid for it, given it was a well-looked-after relatively new system?
0: Um, I know that there is some, some truly well-used equipment uh, floating around with ridiculously low prices and that reflects its age or its uh, state of maintenance. But ultimately, I, I was happy with, with the price we got for it. I think it was a, a good fair price and certainly uh, some of the, the feedback from a couple of people in the industry is, yes, yes, it was. Um, but it's a, it's a little bit ironic when people put so much value on on the stainless and everything else. And yet, as soon as uh, someone's going under, they want to uh, pick it up for next to nothing. And you <laughs> you, you realise that there's a big difference there. Uh, you, you just you can't have all one and none of the other. But uh, but I guess that's just human nature as well.
1: Absolutely, and uh, I, I'd imagine you've learned a lot about people as well.
0: You, you do it. Uh, you, you become a, a real sort of uh, as people judge. Or uh, I suppose that's the wrong way of putting it. I suppose your bullshit filter
1: uh, <laughs> You're <right> gets, <laughs> gets,
0: gets a lot more in tune. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. And uh, there are there are people who, you know, will talk about things to the cows come home. I'm glad I'm one of the ones who, uh, who gave it a go. Um, and, you know, look, I've still got uh, uh, an ongoing relationship with the, the guy who's bought the equipment. And I'll still be uh, doing a brew there, which I'm pretty excited about, I think.
1: It will be under the White Brick label, I understand.
0: It will be, uh, which, which makes me really happy. Um, so I think there's a couple of nice little things with, with things like that. I'm still being able to to be involved in parts of the industry. Uh, you know, I'm doing some training with Brewery Training Australia. I've helped a local distillery get up and running. I've uh, been doing a little bit of lobbying work uh, on behalf of the craft beer strategy and the, the craft beer licence with a couple of our local members who used to to pop in for a beer occasionally, uh, one of whom told me how much he missed the beer lately, and it's kind of ironic because I hadn't sent him in there for quite a while, but he's obviously been buying it from local BWS, which was great. So uh, that was good. It's um, but it's it's a great industry, and you know, you, once you're part of it, you want to keep being part of it.
1: Oh, and uh, I'm I'm glad that you're still going to be around. I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing that. Uh, what what's the beer that's going to come out? Um, and I, I don't think we're allowed to pre-announce the the plans of the person who bought your brewery, but can you tell us the beer that will be coming out under the the, the last beer not, to come the, out under
0: not yet. I it's it's a recipe that we were we were hashing out in the sort of final days of the brewery, and I have a feeling it's uh, it's a beer that will will go really well for uh, I think just the, the an, an everyday sort of market. I'm I'm probably not the uh, the the FOMO brewer, but uh, but I do like a, a good solid beer that you can just uh, have a couple of and say, yeah, I feel really happy because it was just harmony in my mouth.
1: <laughs> and I, I need to ask: Are you homebrewing again? Are, are you did did you homebrew during the the two and a half years of White Brick? And are you homebrewing again?
0: No, I haven't. Um, I ha- I am thinking about starting again, but I have uh... in some ways I would much rather play on the bigger stainless steel now.
1: <laughs> You've been ruined.
0: Yeah, I've I, I well and truly been ruined. I, I I can control it so much more on the bigger stuff and get exactly sort of what I want out of it. I'm thinking, yeah, I like that more than sort of. Oh, it's somewhere around this sort of, uh, and the efficiency's way down. And going, oh, do I really want to do that.
1: So, so you're not looking at the uh, the homebrew equipment in in the garage and thinking, you know just having that sort of negativity of, about the whole experience. It's a, you know, it 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 it's just that you you, you like having bigger toys.
0: I do. I suppose I'm a bit spoiled there.
1: <laughs> well, Adam Gibb, uh, look, thank thank you very much for of being willing to sort of talk about you know a, a, obviously a, a roller coaster experience for you, and uh, congratulations as you say for giving it a go. It's certainly something that I never would have uh, uh, done myself. Um, I don't have that sort of risk profile, and I really admire people that do. So, thank you for uh, joining us to to share the the the, the hard won experience that you've had.
0: That, that's right. Look, as, as I say, it, it's a wonderful industry. I'm really happy to be part of it. And, you know, it's it, life moves on. <laughs> I'd do it again.
1: And I'm glad you're uh, getting to still be a part of it.
0: Excellent. Thanks for that, Matt.
1: And that was Adam Kibb. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryomalt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryomalt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. Your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of this conversation and the Radio Brews News channel. And as a guest on Beer as a Conversation, Adam also receives a new piece of exclusive merch that will only be given to guests on the podcast, a branded Yeti Rambler mug. Thanks to our good friends at Yeti. Every chat show has a branded mug, it seems. And so when Yeti approached us to be part of the show, the Rambler mugs seemed to be the perfect partnership. This is me speaking and not a paid plug. And they have given us the mugs to give away, but they're not paying us to say this because it was something that we wanted to do. Because the Yeti mugs are fantastic when I'm camping and not that worried about having that perfect Insta glass uh, for my beer. The Yeti Rambler is what I use. And they're a really cool thing to give our guests. So we thank Yeti for being part of the show and giving us something that we can give to our guests for giving us their time.